Hello, fellow rebel capitalists. Hope you're well. <laughs> you can tell when I always do these videos after lunch because I talk so fast. All right, let's get into this bombshell report from the Federal Reserve that suggests deflation, deflation, not disinflation, but deflation, prices going down might be next. And I give the Fed a lot of flack, hence my hat. <laughs> but here, I need to give them some credit, or at least the author of this report, because it is absolutely fantastic. Let's check it out. Right from the Federal Reserve's website, federalreserve.gov, we have Fed Notes. And this is from June 3rd, 2022. And what they address is something that I've discussed a lot on my videos. And this is the fact that M2 money supply went up, I call it 25%, just in 2021, as far as you know, those two years. And you can see this chart. And this isn't total M2, but this is just the total deposits at U.S. domestic commercial banks. And obviously, this trend goes up. But here, when we get to surveillance uh, sickness, it just goes completely parabolic. And it keeps going straight, straight up. And we started with just this one metric. We started, I don't know, I'm guessing around 13.5 trillion. And when we get to just Q4 of 2021, we're, call it 19. I mean, that is just a massive, massive increase, which obviously was one of the components to the significant spike in inflation we have seen over the past couple of years. And here is just the year-over-year -year rate of change. You can see still, even now, well, this was Q4 of 2021, so it's probably a little different now. In fact, I know it's different now, and we'll get into that in just a moment. But uh, as of 2021 Q4, the rate of increase was still far higher than it had been going back, it's like 40 years almost. So the question becomes how? I mean, in the mainstream media, you just hear... Well, the Fed was printing money, or the government was spending money, and the Fed was buying the debt. And that, that's a sophisticated view, which, which actually isn't incredibly sophisticated. But, but that is as sophisticated as you would get. A lot of you remember from watching my videos that I took it multiple steps further. Uh, I don't know that you really needed to, but I'm just one of those people that enjoy understanding how things work, even if it, a lot of people think it's probably a waste of my time. <laughs> I just, I just really get a kick out of it. And the conclusion I came to, which I shared with a lot of you is uh, does quantitative easing, at least how they were doing it combined with government deficit spending, does this actually directly impact M2 or uh, with this chart, the, deposits, the total commercial bank liabilities or deposits in the system. And this depends on where the Fed or from who the Fed is buying the treasuries or mortgage-backed securities. 
So, and obviously they're doing this via the primary dealer bank, but having that primary dealer bank in the middle, that, that doesn't impact the, the M2 or what we're talking about here. So if a bank buys from another bank, this is just an asset swap. They're, they're just trading bank reserves for treasuries or mortgage-backed securities. And that's, this holds true to the Fed. So if the Fed is buying mortgage-backed securities from Goldman Sachs, they just simply take those bonds onto their balance sheet and they just add whatever, X amount of reserves, bank reserves, to Goldman Sachs' balance sheet, and that's it. You have literally zero impact on M2 or commercial deposits in the system. There, you've got to see it as multiple layers, and most people see it as one layer. It's interesting, and I just I, I briefly touched on this in the last video I did on on uh, Bitcoiners, Austrians, and gold bugs. But it all just kind of hit me at once last night when I was watching this. Uh, it wasn't a documentary; it was just some guy reading uh, a book from Murray Rothbard that was. I, I'm going to butcher the title, but it was something like the history of money and it, it went back or the history of money in the United States. It went back to like the, I think early 1700s and it went all the way to world war two, I believe. But, and for those of you who are, are big fans of the Austrian school as I am, uh, you, but that's not to say that they don't have problems or they understand everything, <laughs> but overall I'm a big fan. Uh, but for those of you who are big fans, I'm sure you know the book that I'm referring to. So just listening to this audio book over dinner last night for 15 minutes, it com it just hit me like a ton of bricks. The, the, why most people don't understand the way the current monetary system works. And this leads them into making so many mistakes and then also not having a true grasp of the probabilities surrounding inflation, deflation, disinflation, gold, commodities, Bitcoin stocks, bonds, pretty much everything, global macro. So what, what is it? So back then, when the government printed money, and I'm talking about like the when he first starts off with that, the 1600s or the 1700s. The, the government would have to find a way to spend. Maybe they owed merchants for their services. I think they use the example of, of Massachusetts having to do this. And uh, they owed all this money and they didn't have it. So they said, okay, well, we'll just print up some fiat. We'll just print up some some paper money. And then we'll give that to the merchants. And as you would expect, this led to just almost immediate consumer price inflation. And you saw Gresham's Law take hold, where the, 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 the gold coins and silver coins that were circulating in the economy, all of a sudden, those get hoarded. And then the paper money, that stays out in circulation, right? The bad money chases out the good money. And... So you fast forward to today and you see government spending or you see the Fed increasing the size of their balance sheet and quote unquote printing money. And the, the, the Austrians and all the groups that I just mentioned, they 
have a tendency to think in terms of how that would have worked in the 1600s or the 1700s. So when back in the 1700s, again, let's just Massachusetts owes money to merchants. They don't have it. Therefore, they print up the paper money. They give it to merchants. This chases out the good money, and this increases the velocity, and it increases the overall money supply. What do prices do? Almost immediately go up. So fast forward to today, and people have the same view of the Federal Reserve. If the Fed needs to buy something, just like Massachusetts did, they print up money. And then they use this money to buy whatever it is that they need to buy. And then, of course, that money is going to somehow get out into the system and circulate. And it might take a little bit of time, but inevitably, we will have consumer price inflation because this is going to lead to an increase in M2 money supply, i.e. more currency units chasing the same amount of goods and services. Let's go through this, and you're going to see why, and if you haven't watched my whiteboard videos, you're going to see why that thinking is so flawed. So right here, and this is the main, actually it was below these charts, excuse me. Here we go. Got it highlighted. So one of the main contributing factors that the Fed associates with this parabolic move in M2, which absolutely did contribute to the consumer price inflation that we saw along with the government shutting down the whole global economy, screwing up supply chains. But uh, the demand side was definitely a component. And this was a result of the money in the banking system skyrocketing. So the Fed states that one of the main reasons this occurred is right here. The assets purchases by the Federal Reserve led to the creation of reserves in the banking system. Time out. Let's make sure that we're all on the same page. If the Fed buys an asset from a bank, that's where it stops. Transaction over. This does not, especially today, does not increase the balance sheet capacity of the bank. It does not incentivize them to lend. It doesn't mean that they can lend more dollars. It doesn't mean any of that. It just it doesn't mean that there's liquidity injected into the system because the stupid treasury and for a bank has more liquidity than the darn bank reserves, or at least an equal amount. Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Serezna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Tony Greer, commodity trading. Jason Hartman, real estate. And Brent Johnson with Macro Economics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow rebel capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. 
So if it's just fed to bank, I don't care how many, how much money the, the, the fed prints, it doesn't matter. It does. It is not like it was in this 1700s example. Why? Because back then there was basically no base money in broad money. It was just all, all one thing. So when the government quote unquote printed money, that they injected it directly into the broad economy, which circulated chasing goods and services. But now, when the Fed buy, prints money to buy that asset, that, that, does, that has zero impact on M2 money supply directly, assuming they're buying it from another banking entity. So why did we see M2 spike? Let's keep going. And here's where they give the big end. And to the extent the Federal Reserve purchased assets from non-bank entities. Aha. They also led to the creation of deposits. But this is a little broad. What this should say is that the Federal Reserve buying from the banking system led to additional deposits on the Fed's balance sheet. But when they buy from non-bank entities, this leads to the creation of deposits on in the private sector, excuse me, the non-banking sector, which means the deposits, the liabilities of the commercial banks, the currency units, the dollars, the money, whatever you want to call it, increases. So this is the key. You can't just sit there and say, oh my gosh, the Fed is printing all this money. Oh, what are we going to do? It's going to create hyperinflation. No, it depends. It depends. What, what, what are they using that money to buy? And probably more importantly, who are they buying from? So you see the rate of increase, oddly, with M2, doesn't have that much to do with the Fed. Of course, they do have to do QE, right? But it has more to do with the entity selling the treasury to begin with. It's the complete opposite of what you would think. So, George, what's the big deal? Why, why does this report imply that we might have significant deflation? Well, another key point they make, another key factor, is the commercial and industrial credit lines were drawn down significantly. So Fed comes in, backstops the, uh, the banking system, going back to March 2020, and all these businesses think that they're that they're done, that the world is coming to an end. So every single business that still had a line of credit says, yeah, let me max that baby out pronto because I don't know how this is going to end and I need as much of a cash buffer as I can possibly get. Great. Let's think it through. If a non-bank entity is borrowing from a banking entity, drawing down a line of credit, what is that going to do to M2? Straight up, straight up. So you combine this with the Fed buying a lot more treasuries. Now, whether that was intentional or not, I doubt it. Just basically, it was more and more people selling treasuries, more and more non-bank entities selling treasuries than, uh, than we saw during the first three rounds of QE. Now, why? That 
probably involves a completely separate video. But the combination of these two things, along with some other contributing factors, but these are the main two. This is why you saw the massive spike in currency units, M2, commercial banking deposits, however you want to say it. So let's go through the next step. What is the Fed doing right now? They're doing quantitative tightening. So they are allowing a lot of these maturities to, or excuse me, a lot of these bonds to mature. They're not rolling them over. So therefore, these the, the, the new bonds that will be issued will have to be absorbed by the private sector. Now, here's where it gets really, really, really fun, in, in my opinion. If those new bonds are now absorbed by the average Joe and Jane, as you guys know, that decreases the commercial banking deposits. Let's just use M2 as a proxy. Decreases M2. That money goes into the treasury, the TGA, right? And then Janet Yellen spends that money back into the economy. So on net balance, it's a wash. But what happened? What happens if the new issuance is purchased by the banking system? Remember, they're going to use bank reserves. They're going to use their checking account with the Fed. So that money doesn't come out of M2. It's still circulating, but it still goes into the TGA. And then when Janet Yellen spends it back in the economy, what happens to M2 on net balance? Goes up, goes up. You combine that with the fact that the Fed is selling, uh, not only allowing these to roll off their balance sheet or mature, but they're also potentially selling a lot of these treasuries or mortgage-backed securities. So then just like the Fed buying, if they buy from a bank, it doesn't matter, but if they buy from a non-bank entity, it does. If they are selling to a non-bank entity, this will actually do what? It'll decrease the supply of money. So you see how you've got all of these variables, right? Are the banks buying from the treasury? I don't know. Are the non-banks? Is the when the Fed sells the treasuries and mortgage securities? Is that being purchased in large part by the banks? By the average Joe and Jane? I don't know. But if what we saw in March of 2020 simply works in reverse, you can see how the money supply could decrease just as fast as it increased. Because you remember, another thing you have to remember, another variable here, not that I haven't confused you enough, but another variable is what is the rate of current lending versus the rate of current payback in principal? Because remember, outside of what's happening where we, what we just discussed, the commercial banking system is extending credit. But there's also debtors who are paying off those loans. So what's happening on net balance there? Because if there's more people paying back loans, M2 decreases as far as just looking at it through this lens, right? If more credit's being extended, then just looking at that, that's going to increase M2, or maybe a better way to say it, that's going to add a significant tailwind. So, but going back to the main point, if it, and that's a big if, we see this reversal the in the exact same, the, basically the mirror image of what we saw in March of 2020, 
then you would assume that there's a significant probability that M2 goes down just as fast or almost as fast as it went up, especially when you look at the yield curve, understanding that we most likely will go into some sort of recession. And there, again, it goes back to the Fed's balance sheet. If we go into this recession and it's a normal recession where the Fed isn't coming in and backstopping everything because there's no freezing in the credit markets, sure, businesses might want to try to draw down that credit, but they're not going to be able to. This goes back to what we talk about on this channel all the time is that cheap money doesn't necessarily mean loose money. In fact, often cheap money equals tight money for everyone other than the banksters and those individuals, you know, through the Cantillon effect that are so close to the money printing. Everyone else, money's incredibly tight. And for these, uh, what was it, commercial and industrial lines of credit, I remember I tried to get one in 2012 and they gave me the finger. And back then interest rates were zero. So I would assume that a lot of the, and that's again, if the Fed isn't backstopping this because they don't see a need to, because for whatever reason, maybe they're still trying to bring down inflation and uh, we go into a recession, unemployment rate spikes, and all of a sudden these lines of credit completely dry up. They can't draw on these lines of credit. That means that the most of on net balance with the lines of credit themselves, the majority of them are being paid off, not drawn down. And that means decrease in money supply. You combine this with the Fed doing quantitative tightening, assuming they're selling to the private sector and assuming the private sector is buying from the treasury as well, then you could also see a significant decline in the amount of currency units that are circulating chasing goods and services. And that's why this really bombshell report here, it's fantastic, uh, but, that, but really backs up pretty much everything that we discuss so often on these videos, and maybe more specifically on my whiteboard videos, uh, how this shows that, um, although, again, I think that this decade is definitely going to be inflationary, but what happens in the next six months, what happens in the next year or so, that, that's, I think, open for debate. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. As always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, free market capitalism. See you in the next video.